Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-host. She is cooler than R2-D2 doing a swing dance with BB-8. It's Lindsay. Oh, man. You know, what's funny is even if that were slightly true, I'm not even the coolest one on the podcast today. You're not. I'm, heck, I'm, well, I'm never the coolest one on the podcast. Who are we kidding? Uh, we have a very, very special guest that I am super excited for. Uh, she is cooler than Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi teaming up for a buddy cop mystery thriller with, let's throw Leia in there. It's Miss Claudia Gray. <laughs> Hi, guys. Claudia, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've been looking forward to this for quite some time, and I'm very excited to finally get to talk to you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So we wanted to start out with uh, really what I think is the most important question we're going to ask you today. And I was looking at your, your website earlier and reading the bio and everything that you put on there and noticed that you have a purple house. Is that in honor of Mace Windu? Um, it was not in honor of Mace Windu. Uh, it was purple when I moved in, actually. Uh, I live in New Orleans, so that's not that unusual. We actually just repainted last month, though, and it is now a very bright coral. Nice, nice. Ooh, very nice. And now, Brandon, you don't have to be disappointed that no. it would have, in fact, been in honor of Mace Windu. No, see, I might have actually had to like Mace Windu. <laughs> that's... Because I, I feel That's like how I would it goes. be, yeah. How easily you can sway your decisions. <laughs> give, give me a good book, and you've got me. That's all you need. Give me three, and you own me. <laughs> so, um, well, once again, thank you, Claudia, for coming on today. And uh, we know you are at a, a con, so we want to respect your time. Um, but you mentioned living in New Orleans. I did want to check in and see, like, is your everything okay with your house and everything with the flooding? Uh, currently, it's all fine. I mean, Wednesday was a little damp, but I'm on pretty high ground. And then the last couple of days, it's been okay. Uh, according to the weather report from my boyfriend from about an hour ago, the wind has started picking up a little bit, but it isn't even raining yet. Now, about mid-afternoon, that's going to change. So, you know, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and really hoping I'm going to you know, that the city's going to be okay and the house is going to be okay and that I will be able to actually fly home on schedule yeah. if the airport is open, but I'll find that out later. Yeah, I live in Houston, and so it was like either New Orleans or Houston it was going to hit. And so we were bracing. Uh -huh. We went and bought waters and stuff yesterday, and Target was all cleared out. So uh, I did want to ask you, um, because you, you as an author, I think one of the things that you do – so well um, from from the very beginning of the books of yours that I've read is transition big characters like Han, Luke, and Leia 
uh, from the screen to the page and still make them feel the same. I, I vividly remember the first time reading Bloodline. I stopped and I was like, this is the first time that Leia has ever transitioned over perfectly for me. And she's a very important character to me. So I was wondering kind of like, how do you, what's the process for getting these beloved characters into a different medium so seamlessly? Well, I mean, step one is being a huge, enormous nerd your entire life who saw Star Wars for the first time when she was six and, you know, and therefore has spent her entire life. You know, there's never been a time when I wasn't wondering what Princess Leia would say, you know, or what Han Solo would do. It's it's always been with me. So I think, yeah, an incredibly misspent youth uh, has a lot to do with it. <laughs> and then, uh, I would uh, argue otherwise, but go ahead. <laughs> Um, and then other than that, I mean, I really think it, it really comes down a lot to putting yourself in that world, you know, really thinking about things the way somebody in that world would think about them, hopefully, and really trying to hear that person speak because, uh, the personality that each of these actors has given, you know, to these characters you know, that's the first thing that we connect to. It's not just the words, and that cost me as a writer to say that. You know, I mean, in the movies, we fall in love with the whole persona. And so by trying to capture some of the flavor of the way that these people speak, I think it helps a lot. Yeah, and you've you've really nailed that down. So how do you, how do you go about finding the voices of those characters? Are you re-watching the films to dissect the dialogue, or do you just know them so well? Like, what's your process... Like, once you're putting pen to pad, for lack of a better term. I do usually rewatch, um, and that helps. But, again, I, I think just lifelong nerdity. I, I don't think I could not ask myself, you know, like, what would Obi-Wan say? It's, it's just I, I don't have that choice. So I'm really lucky I found a productive use for this. <laughs> <laughs> if you can turn it into a paying job. More than most of us can say. Well, you know, is it, is it other than just rewatching um, the films and getting your head in that mindset and in those worlds, do you also get to work closely with the story group or any of the directors to get a better feel for how they see those characters and get to incorporate that at all? Um, I mean, sometimes there are conversations. For the most part, you know, the books are very much my own. Before I did a Star Wars novel, the first time they approached me, I thought, well, you know, they're going to give me this full outline and that's going to be it. And I'll, you know, and I'll have to do what they say. And then the, instead they were like, oh, here are two lines. Can you make a book out of that? And, and I have a lot <laughs> of liberty with it, which was, which was great. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, we do run outlines and then final manuscripts by story group. And we do sometimes have conversations about, you know, what would they do? It, yeah. it tends more to be things like story group just knows things that are coming up that I don't know. Uh, you know, they understand. I haven't seen the comics that haven't been published. I haven't okay. seen the movies that aren't out yet, etc. And and they know exactly where those are, so they're able to weigh in with information that I don't get. The only time I remember really pushing back and forth at all, and it really wasn't even about what would this character do. It was about another concern they had was with Bloodline, because originally they were like, we don't want Luke in the book, and we don't want Han in the book. And hmm. you know, with the events that they had, because they did want the galaxy finding out that Darth Vader was Leia's father in Bloodline, I was like, okay. listen, if they're still together, and they and they were, you know, 
there's there's nothing that stops him from coming to her after that. There's nothing that stops her. But their concern wasn't like, oh, we don't think Han would do that. They were worried, I think, that the focus would then shift away from Leia, that she would then be sharing the story. And I do think that sometimes that has happened. Mm-hmm. And so I understand the concern, but I was like, that's not going to be what we do here. Like, you know, Han needs to show up. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, just And just looking at it from a character standpoint, they completely agreed with that. So that was great. Oh, for sure. I mean, thank God, too, you know these characters as well as you do, you know, being that it was, you know, you were six years old and you already started imagining yourself in their world because that is such a Han thing. You know, we see right in A New Hope that when someone, especially Leia, needs him, he is right there and there's nothing that can stop him. So thank God you uh, you had that insight. It would have been a very different story had you not. Um, but, you know, I always wondered especially with Bloodline, actually. You know, like Brandon said, you do such a great job of seamlessly transitioning these characters that we know onto the page. But one of my favorite elements of all of your stories, whether it's Lost Stars, Bloodline, it's actually the characters that you get to invent. So is it more daunting or is it more exciting when you get to come up with a new character like Greer Sonnell and find that voice and create someone there? Oh, gosh. You know, it depends. Sometimes that's the most fun and sometimes it's the toughest. Um, you know, like, I mean, Thane and Sienna came pretty naturally, thank goodness, because otherwise I don't know what Lost Stars would be exactly. Um, and of course that was part of the fun of it is asking what that war in those movies look like if you're not in the big planning room and you're not going to fire the last shot and you don't have all this information, you know, what if you're just caught up in this, what does this look like? And you need new people for that kind of point of view, which is great. Um, Ransom Castorfo was a lot of fun to write in Bloodline, although I actually, I actually did not invent him. He, he existed long enough ago, like basically a version, a treatment for episode seven that George Lucas himself had written. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And he, but he was a very different character. He was much more unambiguously bad. And I thought it'd be a little bit more interesting to play with him. And we sort of had the freedom to do that, but, yeah, but sometimes it, it is tough. Uh, it took me forever to get my, my head around rail Avaros in master and apprentice because you know, the first vision I had of him in my head was sort of maybe, I guess, like, um, I don't know, sort of a Sean Connery type. But on the page, a Sean Connery type is not different enough from a Liam Neeson type and uh, Ewan McGregor type. You know, oh, I does. see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah so can't. how did you then find that voice and come up with uh, how you wanted him to seem? Just kept working with it and working with it and working with it until finally he shook out as the highly iconoclastic character that he is. And I've wound up really enjoying him and he's already in the uh, Dooku Jedi Lost audio play. So Rail has already started to wander through the Star Wars universe and I'm very happy for him. So um, that was a really long spiel to say that sometimes creating the original characters is the easiest and the most fun and sometimes it is the biggest challenge. And if I could predict exactly when each was going to be true, my life would be so much easier. (laughs) If only. Well, other than Ransom then, is there one that 
any particular character that you have had the chance to come up with that you feel really attached to and you hope to see again in other stories? Um, I, I really do hope to, to, to have something else with Ransom. I think I can get him out of trouble. I, I feel good about it. I hope um, so. I believe in you. I hope so. <laughs> yes, clap if you believe everyone <laughs> the podcast. Can clap I get an amen? Believe. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, and obviously, you know, I I fully believe that there's going to be something else with the Lost Stars characters eventually. I don't know when, but I do think it will happen. So that means a lot to me. But um, I, the, I, let me be honest, I love them all. So I hope they get to go on and do things. Honestly, one of the most fun things was, um, you know, there's a character of Yendor in Lost Stars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yendor of Ryloth and... It's the only time in my life I've put a real person in my books. It's my very good friend, Rodney. And I led him to believe that Yendor was just like a cameo, like a throwaway line, whereas he's actually a pretty big, you know, supporting character. And I just let him find that out when he read the book. And he was mightily pleased. But then, of course, Chuck Wendig wrote Yendor into Aftermath Life Debt. And yeah, yeah, when Rodney found out he was in a book I didn't write, let me tell you, he was, he's still swaggering. Uh, <laughs> and suddenly my friends look a whole lot less impressive. <laughs> um, I, I've got to go a, back. He has a Wikipedia page. He's very proud. Oh my God. I, that, that would be top of my resume. Like that would just be my resume. Like here, I'm on Wikipedia. That's all you need to know. <laughs> um. I want to I want to go back to Ransom Casterfo because he's one of those characters I just fell in love with like right away um, because a lot of times in Star Wars we we it's very binary right like light side dark side rebellion empire like it's always binary and then here you introduce this character who's like I hate to say the word gray because it's cheesy but like he's there in the middle he's trying to take the the best of both worlds and he sees the evil and the good in in both sides and that really expands the the galaxy a lot and it opens it up to i think a lot of um different points of view and interpretations and things like that so when you when you were writing him were you thinking along the lines of like this is going to be another certain point of view in the galaxy or was it like character first and that story just happened to feed into that? It was a little bit of both. Um, in, in the original version of it, he was somebody who worked for Leia, but was somebody who was secretly plotting against her the whole time and then revealed this Darth Vader information. And I didn't buy that. Because, you know, Leia was in the rebellion for how many years? You know, if she didn't know who to trust, she wouldn't have lived to be 19, you know? Hmm. Like, yeah. we wouldn't have gotten that far. So I just didn't buy that she was going to have somebody like this on her staff. But I was like, but they did say the reason that she had him on her staff, like he was somebody who always clashed with her, was that she appreciated getting other points of view. And I was like, okay, so what if instead of having him work for her, he's somebody who would normally be working against her? politically anyway um but he's somebody that is worth listening to and so that was really more the origin of it and i don't know that it was i guess i the question for me was you know a lot of people as we saw in uh revenge of the sith a lot of people voted to give palpatine that power and it wasn't because they were all stupid 
you know, it was because they'd just been through years and years of the separatist war and other things falling apart before that. And, you know, people get scared and people get hurt. And that's when all of a sudden, you know, something that's very clearly a bad idea starts looking like a good idea because the alternative is sort of failing to deliver, I guess. In it's some like context. that desperation, you know, like cling yeah, to anything. Basically. Yeah. Kind of the, yeah. the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know. And in, in the case of Palpatine, the literal devil. Um, yeah. Um, but it's like, well, we, you know, all of us together having this Republic, we've completely failed to deal with this over the past decade and change. You know, maybe we should have one person at the helm, you know, making clear decisions, you know, and when you look at it that way, you know, rule by one person that you would however wrongly trust versus rule by committee, then all of a sudden you see how otherwise very rational people might make that call in that place. And so, you know, ransom, of course, is of the next generation, but I sort of wanted to establish like why rational people could still have funded the first order yeah. and why there could be people that would be okay with that coming back. You know, it can't be, you know, gosh, I'm just so, you know, nostalgic for the days of the Sith Lords. You know, it's not that it's, you know, I miss knowing who's in charge is more of it. And essentially he's there to say, you know, the new Republic's dropping the ball. And it is, he doesn't necessarily have the correct answer, but he has pointed out a real problem, and Leia knows it. Well, and then, I mean, it's gone even beyond that, because I don't know if you're keeping up with Star Wars Resistance, but Tam um, is kind of that same way. She doesn't really see what's wrong with the First Order coming into the uh, platform, mm -hmm. you know, um, because to her, they're sending protection, even though they're eventually taking it over, and... and it seems like a good idea until all of a sudden she has to choose between her friends and safety. Um, and it makes that, that complicated thing, which is, is I mean, kind of where Ransom's at at the end of the book. And I just, I love yeah. that character. Yeah, I, ha I have been watching Resistance. And I actually thought another thing that was really telling about that and something that's true about Ransom and is true in the movies is, you know, in the original trilogy, everybody from the Empire is pretty old and gray you know, or at least middle-aged mm. and gray. Whereas the First Order is led by all these younger people, mostly, you know, Hux and, and this crew. And the idea is the generation that didn't grow up with the Empire is n necessarily not going to know it the same way and necessarily not understand the evils and the downside of it in the same way. Mm. And so that's why you have this energy. And, you know, and Tam, she... You know, she doesn't have the life experience of having gone through those wars to bring to her assessment of the First Order. And Ransom, you know, he does remember the Empire. He does remember how badly it went. But he, at the same time, he grew up with the New Republic. And so he's just going to have a slightly different point of view. Well, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, the, the people who are the First Order now, you're mentioning them being young, they are kind of the rebellion. You know, uh, just the, mm -hmm. the complete inverse of it um, going into to episode seven. And we kind of like start with in, with their victory um, in, in eight and then now nine, like the, the rebellion is reborn. And it's just interesting mm -hmm. how those those sides flip. But people uh, have to try to find that that area where where do we find right in this this galaxy with so much wrong. Uh, so you almost you, you don't know this, but you almost killed me. Um, when I started reading Leia, Princess of Alderaan.
because uh-huh. I don't even read like back covers anymore. Like it has Star Wars on it. I'm going to read it anyways. So I like to go in just <laughs> clean. And so when I started that book out and Leia was not getting along with her parents, I was so stressed out. I like wasn't <laughs> sleeping well and things like because I had no idea that it was going the direction of like they were deceiving her. I just I got so caught up I in the writing. That. You really were freaking out. I was out. so stressed. <laughs> I was oh, like, man. way to go, Claudia. You almost killed Brandon. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> she wrote <laughs> Lost oh, Stars and Bloodline. Like, this is not the same person. And then, of course, you turned it around. Um, and I would argue, I, I don't know, Master and Apprentice is there, but Leia Princess of Alderaan is like my, uh, I don't want to say guilty pleasure favor, but it's kind of like my, my warm, fuzzy blanket of books. Um, <laughs> so did you, uh, d- was that like a, a mandate from the story group to kind of start it off there to have her join the rebellion? Or what was kind of the, the nexus of like, this is the, the story we're going to tell about young Leia? Literally, they came and said, we want you to tell the story of how Leia joined the rebellion. And I said, okay, great. How did she join the rebellion? And they said, you tell us. And I was like, yes. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, which was fantastic because I think the assumption had been, and I say this, and it was also my assumption, you know, for a lot of the time was that, oh, Bale brought her in. But if you really think about it, you know, the loving, protective dad of a teenager doesn't go... You know, I really want, uh, I really want my little girl to get involved in this incredibly deadly, you know, illegal set of activities. Uh, and particularly at that point, it's even pre Rogue One. The rebellion doesn't even know what it's going to be at this point. It's one thing if he's going to, they're definitely going into war, and he needs to get her ready for it. But they don't know that yet. They haven't agreed on that even you know, right up to almost a new hope. It's it's that long, we now know, before they made that decision. And so I was like, yeah, he wouldn't drag her into that. That would be a pretty irresponsible thing to do, and he's not an irresponsible guy. But then we also have Leia, who is not passive and is incredibly curious and cannot be, you know, discouraged from going after what she needs to know or what she wants to know. So I got to sort of turn it around that way. And it made sense. Like, you know, her parents are keeping a secret from her. It's a secret worth keeping at that point. But, you know, kids understand this stuff. Teenagers understand this stuff. Even if they don't know the why, they know the what, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I work with kids and you can try to keep stuff from them and they're going to figure it out anyways. I've just figured like, just be brutally honest with kids most of the time. And that, that works. And when you try to like, I guess, uh, keep them safe, you end up actually motivating them to put themselves in danger a little more often in a kind of weird, Uh weird, uh, upside down kind of thing. Um, you know, I do actually have a question about this point specifically with Leia princess of Alderaan. Was it more, when you were writing that story, were you focused more on Leia as a character or trying to develop those early days of the rebellion? Did one kind of take precedence or were you just trying to really even that balance? Because it does strike such a good center where, yeah, we learned so much about the rebellion, but we also really get to know young Leia at the time. Uh, So what was kind of more important for you at that point? Oh, that was definitely Leia. You know, Leia was going to be the center of it, and that had to be the most important thing. But 
that was going to lead to exploring the early rebellion because there's no way that once she found out about it, she was going to rest. She's all in. She no yeah. more. Yeah, there's there's no way around this. Uh, so the the greater sense of the rebellion and what's going on then, uh, you know, that all came from that's what Leia's character, that's the character, uh, that's the direction, I would say, that the character mm-hmm. would take us in naturally. And other things, too, like it made sense that, you know, it would be good to have sort of the beginning of her friendship with Mon Mothma. This would be a good time for that. Uh, and also she and Tarkin already clearly hate each other by the time of A New Hope. So I was like, okay, you know, let, let's get that started too. But all of it came out of this is who she is and where she is and what she would naturally do and who she would naturally be seeking out and be sought out by. Yeah, well, mission, mission accomplished because that story really just flows, you know, naturally is definitely the right word for it. Um, I think it was so easy for everyone as a reader to put themselves in that position and think, yeah, of course this is what Leia is going to do. And then, of course, those scenes like with Tarkin, they they came across so tense while reading it. And I remember just kind of, I was I was on a flight and I remember getting really, like my shoulders, my elbows, everything just clenched in. And finally, after that scene, I took like the deep sigh of relief. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not on the plane right now. Great. Well, I was kind of the same because it, it, I mean, it's one of those scenes that just is it's gripping. But I think it also adds a lot to that scene on the Death Star because you kind of get the impression that Tarkin and Leia know each other um, and that they kind of know they're lying to each other's face. But I feel like this book kind of confirmed it. Like, that's how their relationship started. Tarkin knows, at least the way I read it, Tarkin knows she's lying. Leia knows Tarkin knows she's lying. But nobody can catch anybody on that. So were you thinking about that, that interaction on the Death Star when you were writing that particular scene? Oh, definitely. And I actually think that that Tarkin, at least in that last conversation, the one where he's sort of baiting her about uh, Paul Chris Major, I think he doesn't realize she's lying or that she's pretending at that moment because she doesn't really lie. She just doesn't react. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that one time she really was able to fill it because he was underestimating her. You know, he was thinking, you know, she's a girl, uh, she's a young person. She'll she'll react. She won't be able to keep herself from acting if she knows this. Um, but you know, Leia hangs on to it, and that changes things. But yeah, it was very much about setting up that tension in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so so yeah. for Leia in particular, like, there's this. Uh, I guess, movement, you could say now, of, like, the strong female character, um, which is amazing, and I love it, and I look forward to raising daughters, like, in this culture where we have these kind of role models. Uh, But it can become kind of tropey sometimes, where just, like, okay, now you're inserting strong female character X here. um, And Leia's never been that way. So how, how, as somebody who has helped to create Leia, how do you avoid making her just that cheesy tropey kind of character and keep her real and relatable uh it's honestly i i feel like it's the whole other thing you know it's it's not you know if, if you don't think of like oh i need a strong female character you know circle tm here like if you're actually thinking about the character as the character you're not gonna fall into that mm. you know if if you're creating that kind of character it's a hint that maybe you're not you know, maybe with good intentions, but you're maybe 
still falling short of the idea that a female character is first and foremost a character and therefore is going to have the same motivations and flaws and needs and strengths, you know, that you would design into any male character. Um, You know, I, I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like you could just like pretend that that isn't an issue. Of course it's an issue that you would be silly to go like, Oh, it doesn't matter whether or not the characters are, you know, all male or all female. Like my one big problem with Rogue One is that she's like Smurfette in that thing. You know, it's <laughs> like there's 81 dudes going there, and and it's like really there wasn't like one female volunteer. There wasn't one female character. And I said something about this on Twitter, and somebody came back. It was like there was no plot reason for them to be female. And I was like, there was no plot reason for them to be male. You know, it, yeah. It, you just have to think about it that way. It's not like I think if you're not thinking about, you know, male character as default, then you're just going to build characters as characters. I think the problem is when you've bought into this thing and it's not anybody's fault if they have, because we've been programmed with it really hard. Right. You know, but, um, you know, if you don't think about it that way, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be any different or any more difficult, uh, than writing, you know, any other type of character. Yeah, and I mean, that's interesting that you kind of approach it that way because like building Clashing Sabers, building this the website, podcast network and everything like that, I didn't intend, like I'm a middle-class white Christian male, like I'm your typical fanboy, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we've ended up building this very diverse uh, people, staff and also like our community that we have on Facebook and things like that. And I just turned around one day and it was there. Like I never was like, I'm going to make a really diverse group. And it just kind of naturally happened. But there is a fine line you have to ride there because like at the same time, if you don't like try to do that you're gonna fall back into to those old ways of doing things that's really interesting that it kind of crosses over to different yeah i mean i think if you're sort of conscious and you're trying to free your brain then you're not going to fall prey to tokenism Mm, that's a good yeah tokenism yeah i like that huh well then you know i do want to shift to a uh a male that you do write really well with that in mind that you do think of just how do you make the strong character and let their gender fall into place. Um, but with Leia, we're talking about all this, I guess, reference material that we have and all these other scenes that we see in the original trilogy that we can keep in mind. And we've all had our entire lives to sit with her character and really start to understand her. Um, for me personally, and I believe Brandon as well, our gateway drug into star wars was actually the phantom menace and for me personally it was qui-gon jen specifically that is when i was like this is my favorite character i am so on board and then ended up in a way dedicating my life to star wars after that Uh Um, so so if you had you know you were eight you were six years old when you started to think about Han and Leia and Luke and these characters, and you've had time to sit and mature with them. Was it more difficult then to jump into a character like Qui-Gon Jinn where you haven't had as much time to know him and come up with these stories and you don't have the reference materials that we do with Leia? Well, I mean, you know, it's the difference of what, like, 32 years versus 20 years, you know, it may mm-hmm. be less time, but it's not exactly no time. Uh, and I, 
you know, I'm very touched and moved by your assumption that somehow I had more of a life at, at 29 <laughs> than I did at seven, you know, and, and I would love to tell you that that was true, but the fact is I was still nerding out really hard. So uh, I had plenty of source material to draw <laughs> Oh, I love it. I really wish I could sh- I w- wish I could send you the picture right now because my desk at work was literally covered with purple post-its of just every thought I had about Master and Apprentice. And I I'm not like a note taker. Oh, wow. It was I, it was ridiculous. There was so much there. Um tell us about I mean just kind of the approach to that book because I know you had spoken before about wanting to do a Qui-Gon book. Of course you did the short story in a certain point of view which I is my favorite, I think, for most people. It's their favorite, if not up there. So were you kind of like spinning off of that moment into a larger story? Had you had this story ahead of time? What was kind of the approach there? Well, I just knew I wanted to do a Qui-Gon story. And the, from a certain point of view thing was mostly me going, yet again, I would like to do a Qui-Gon story. Um, and then, but I have to say, Honestly, getting going on this book was was kind of tough. I didn't have the pre-existing mm. story. I had, you know, so many things I wanted to say, and I sort of realized partway through, like, what I really wanted to do was write, like, a five-volume biography of Qui-Gon Jinn, which, weirdly enough, is not, you know, yeah, it's not on the publishing schedule. You know, it's like one story. What, yeah. what is the one story? And... It was a little difficult to put my finger on that because with, with all the books, I try to ask, like, why is this necessary? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you need to read this? Why is it not just more Star Wars, but actually another part of the story that you need to have? And ultimately, I realized it had to be Qui-Gon's belief in the prophecies. That's the thing that sets him apart the most. And that's the thing that affects events the most, because it's that conviction that leads him to bring Anakin in. And of course, everything happens from there. But it took a while to get to that. Um, You know, I wouldn't have thought that there would be, you know, sort of like a danger side to getting to write, you know, a character that you were sort of that enamored of, which I very much always was. But there was because there was so much I wanted to say that actually narrowing down the one story was was kind of tough. Hmm. Well, with all of that, I mean, I'm, I'd imagine what makes it even tougher is how you have Yoda in that story. You know, it's it's no secret, especially since this book came out. There's so much discussion in the fandom of is Yoda really the greatest Jedi and was he healthy for the Jedi order? You know, it seems pretty clear where you come down on characters like Leia and Qui-Gon Jinn, but what do you make really of Yoda and where he plays in all of these stories? I really do. I think believe in Yoda, but I think even the best of us sometimes enter periods where we kind of lose sight of the big picture and I think that's where Yoda is during the time of Master and Apprentice and the prequels. You know, he's, I mean, and he's been at this for centuries, you know. Mm. And so maybe it's not so weird that there was a period of time where he sort of got locked into the framework of like, this is the way we've always done it. And these yeah. are the rules. And, you know, and it, it's easy to go like, how could you drop the ball like that? But the fact is like virtually all of us are going to drift into an autopilot at some point in our lives and very rarely for the better. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'd imagine too, being in, 
his position, you don't have many people willing to challenge you on things. Do you think we would ever get to see any type of story with Yoda where he is that primary character and he is the protagonist and we get to see some people maybe challenge what he thinks? I have no idea. Um, I mean, you know, famously, nobody knows what species he is or what his native planet is. And like that, it's not like nobody's revealed it. You know, I can, I can tell you like nobody knows. Pablo Hidalgo does not know. Right. Nobody has. (laughs) So, you know, he, he is a mystery and whether or not they're ever going to get into that mystery, I, not a clue, I guess. Um, I kind of hope they don't uh, because for one, I feel like he is this sort of incredible mystical being at his best. And I don't know that you want to uh, undercut that too much, I guess. Um, and at the same time, I have to think an entire book of dialogue and Yoda speak. I can't, <laughs> I can't even fathom writing that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That you would be, be talking backwards for weeks after that. Yeah, what if you did the entire thing in his voice, in his POV? Like, please oh. try to imagine reading 100,000 oh, could, could you imagine the audiobook of that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. Oh, but, man. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't think they would ever sign up for that in particular. <laughs> so no. I have no idea. So when you when you are writing a book, because now you've got me thinking about you, you like uh, starting off a book. Are you one of those like just write the first draft all the way through? Don't stop. Don't. Or do you kind of like stop and go back and fix things? And um, a little bit in between, like I, for the most part, I, I try to write straight through. But every and, and do my editing later. But every once in a while you get to something where you're like wait, I've, I've actually taken a wrong turn here. And in that case, you kind of need to back up and, and get that straightened out before you can productively mm. go forward. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so going back to, to kind of Yoda and Qui-Gon, because I did have a question there. I'm a teacher myself. I teach uh, fifth grade. And I think one of the things I'm most appreciative of for this quote-unquote new canon is the flaws that we see in the teachers. Um, you've got Yoda, even, uh, you know, Luke, and then, of course, Qui-Gon, at the start of your book, is a character that doesn't feel uh, validated or, or like he should be a master. And as somebody who walks into a classroom every year, I can tell you the first day of school is always like that. Um, so... I don't. I don't really know if there's a question here. I just wanted to say that it's really important to me. Um, was that like? Was it intentional for you trying to like show like this this flawed character still becoming? I mean, we argued on. We did two Master and Apprentice episodes that Qui Gon's now the greatest Jedi of the old Jedi Order. I do love Qui Gon. Um, so I'm glad that that is the conclusion. But. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a deliberate sort of conscious thing, but it is something that I feel a lot. And it's something that I took away from The Last Jedi, which was a movie I enjoyed a lot, primarily because, you know, Star Wars, it's about hope. It always has been. You know, it's a story about hope. And then The Last Jedi is the first movie that stops and says, well, what is hope exactly? And it isn't 
ignoring the odds and running forward blindly and just trusting everything's going to work out. That's not what it is. It's looking at everything that can go wrong and has gone wrong and everything you have done wrong and picking up and going on anyway. Like that's where hope comes from. That's the origin of it. And, and of course that gets to Yoda. And the reason I love that scene so much, because I was like, this is not only the point of the movie, this is like the point of Star Wars is mm-hmm. what he's telling you right mm. now, you know, is is the fact that you have to own all of this and move forward. And I feel like it's paralleled with Kylo Ren's viewpoint in that. You know, I feel like, I, I think in fandom, there's always been this idea like being dark side would like make you really, like, like it's really cool, it's really tough, it's really badass, you know. And then you have Kylo Ren who makes it clear like, he is miserable. He's not enjoying one second of this. And he gets this chance to have a connection with another person. And he gets a chance to get out. And all he has to do in the end is own what he's done and say, you know, I was wrong and walk away. And he can't do it. And he just seals himself back into that misery. He can't find hope. Um, Anyway, that so that's a pretty long aside, and I don't know that it was an answer to your thing that maybe wasn't a question, I'm but n- certainly some of that feeling at, um, that I took away from that movie it definitely comes into play there. I'm just now thinking of Kylo Ren in Rise of Skywalker sitting and looking at a holocron with uh, Qui-Gon in it, learning from him. Mm. That would be good. Um, it would be. So for, for me... Master and Apprentice, the thing that really hit home was it was it was I looked at it yesterday, I think it was the last two or three pages, but it was when you had Qui-Gon sit down and and ask of Obi-Wan uh whether he wanted to to stay his apprentice or not on this new, I guess, journey he was going on following the force. And mm-hmm. one of the things that made me realize is that like Qui-Gon is the only real character in the prequel era, the prequel uh, movies, that gives each person he interacts with a sense of agency. Like, to an extent, like, it's kind of ridiculous that he offered to let a nine-year-old boy decide his fate and kind of the fate of the galaxy. But at the same time, it's like, but the children are our future kind of thing. So, like, do you think... Whatever we see the Jedi become, and of course, I'm working on the assumption that you don't know anything about Rise of Skywalker. Um, And and I just want to make that clear for the listeners that I'm not looking for spoilers. Um, But do you think that's that's kind of a direction that Rey, Kylo, whoever has to go in the the end of Episode Nine is really just allowing for that um, individual agency for each of the the characters? Well, I feel like. You know, at least certainly in the case of Kylo Ren, I mean, that is a big part of stepping away from the dark side is not imposing your will on other people or even, you know, I mean, the force is supposed to, you're supposed to be very passive in some ways with it. You know, you're supposed to let this energy flow to some extent. Um, You're not supposed to be just bending it to your will to bend other people to your will um, you know, it matters how you use the force. Um, and I feel like, you know, if Kylo Ren is to turn or to at least get back to a really wonderfully ambiguous place that, yeah, he's going to have to accept that other people are going to make their own choices and he can't 
shape everything, you know, because yeah. obviously that ability to, not that ability, that desire to control and to manipulate, it is fundamentally based in fear. You know, if you're not afraid of other people, you're not going to try to manipulate what they say or do. You know, that's that's the only reason that you do that. Well, it's interesting you said bending because I have you have you watched Avatar: The Last Airbender? Uh, yes, it's been a while, but yes. okay. So I just watched it recently, and like that, the the end, the ending is basically you know Aang winning via a lot of power. Um, even movies nowadays like Captain Marvel, Avengers, they're winning by like having a lot of power. And I think one of the things that makes Star Wars different is you the two greatest acts that happen in Star Wars are Luke throwing away his lightsaber and what happens on crate and both of them are acts of nonviolence. And so it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting to see just the the discussion about in the within the fandom of like power and people wanting some big dual, you know, dual of the fates thing to kind of end it all. And it's like but that that's what went wrong with Palpatine. Again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it was like giving all this power to one person is not a good thing, whether it's somebody as noble as Rey or somebody as broken as Kylo Ren. Yeah, I mean, both of those are, they are nonviolent acts, and, and in to a big extent, both of them are acts of love. Yeah. You know, Luke does that out of love for what he believes his father was and could be and then comes back out of love for his sister and for these ideals that he still holds dear even though he sort of has tried to turn away and um yeah there is such a weakness and again this is something we're very programmed for by pop culture to go like oh the big smackdown is coming it will be so satisfying when you know, so-and-so just pound somebody into the ground. But there's a reason it was, you know, Return of the Jedi, not Revenge of the Jedi. Mm. You know, George Lucas went and said, wait, that's not what the Jedi would do. Um, and and I think it is sort of hard to reframe it. And I hope that Star Wars is going to keep on framing victory in this much more interesting way. Yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion they will, especially with I- you on board. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's awesome, though. I mean, it's it's so cool just to hear your thoughts on kind of the, the state of the union of Star Wars now and the lessons that we can learn from it. Um, and my question to you, too, is just fan to fan. If you could pick any era, any story, any character that you get to tell from here on out, what would your dream be? Um. Well, I mean, my two big wishes right now would be, one would be, I would love to write books about the game Knights of the Old Republic. Nice. You know, I would love to do something with Bastila or something with Mission and Zalbar. Those are great characters, and maybe this is heresy as a book writer, but I really believe Knights of the Old Republic is one of the great Star Wars stories. Um, It's one of the great casts of Star Wars characters. It's really beautifully done. Uh, And then I guess for somebody after this, like I'm very interested in where Ray goes from here. I would love to do something with Ray post Rise of Skywalker if she survives, which like I'm betting she will. If she doesn't, we riot. (laughs) (laughs) Plain and simple, riot in the theater. Uh, So 
kind of spinning off of that, JJ mentioned when uh, he read the script for The Last Jedi, he was like, damn, I wish I wrote that one. Is there a Star Wars, uh, we'll, we'll just stick with, with books, because obviously, like, we all wish we could write The Last Jedi, because that paycheck's going to be great. Uh, but, like, books, comics, is there anything that you've read, you're like, man, I wish I had thought of that one. That one was good. Yeah, I wish I'd come up with Dr. Afra. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, she's she's awesome. That is fantastic. Yeah, the amazing thing with her, and and part of my problem with the the Legends universe is it's just it feels very much like the same stories, very action adventury. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I prefer the the newer canon feels more like a character study, and that's kind of mm-hmm. that that's the kind of stuff I dig. And Afra's like that nice medium of both. She's such a good balance of that. Yeah. Yeah, she she captures a lot of that sort of swashbuckling energy, but at the same time, there's a really complicated and interesting character who's interested in understanding the people around her. Yeah, that's a good point. She she is really and and I love that she she uses those people to her own ends and then feels bad about it, but knows she's going to go do it again. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> how many of us actually do that? Like, It's sad, but it's, it's true. Uh, so, okay, so to close out, we kind of have five questions um, we like to ask. These are just okay. like a little lightning round um, kind of thing. So we'll start off with this, and it is, which Star Wars movie did you watch most recently and why? Which did I watch most recently? It was Rogue One, and it actually was just I came in and my boyfriend had picked it out to watch and I was like yeah let's watch Rogue One Uh, so that wasn't a huge rationale there but there you go I don't think you have to justify ever watching Rogue One. There's, there's no need for rationale. It's just, it, it's no Rogue One. No good reason or bad reason. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this one, you can kind of take it in-universe or out-of-universe. Who's your Star Wars partner in crime or BFF? Um, let's see. I guess in in reality, I guess it's got to be the author, Kevin Scott, because we worked together a lot when he was doing mm. Dooku Jedi Lost and I was doing Master and Apprentice. Um you know, because both of them deal with Dooku quite a bit. And right. we wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. And we had a lot right. of fun with that. And, you know, Ray Lavaros wandered off into the audio play. And I'm like, you know, Kevin, how dare you write better dialogue for Ray Lavaros? <laughs> <laughs> going to come to England and get you. But um, so that would be that. If I were going to set out into adventures with somebody in the Star Wars galaxy, who would it be? I would probably want to go a little bit pre-solo and hook up with the young Lando and L3. I think they'd make some great traveling companions. Oh, man, that would be a lot of fun. It'd be fun. You might not, suffer, you might not live for very long, but you'd have a good time <laughs> getting there. Yeah, I, there's really nobody you can hang out with in the Star Wars universe canonically and be like, and I'll be perfectly safe. I'll be safe. safe. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's not how it works. I like, you take that chance, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching sometimes. I'm like, this is a galaxy where they just casually walk around with sidearms. Like, I don't know if I really want to live in this galaxy. Brandon, you're from Texas. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but we hide them. We don't just carry them on sling. That's reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, just on a side note, I know you can't say anything. I'm not asking you to say anything. But after Master and Apprentice and Dooku Jedi Lost, with how those just paired up so well with each other, I'm like butterflies in my stomachs for Project Luminous because because the two of you are working together. It was like excitement because you and Kevin were both working on it. But now that it's like you guys are working on it, 
and almost together is very exciting. Uh, so he next- also brought me hobnobs from England. So he's a beautiful human and should be protected. What a guy! A gentleman and a scholar. Yes, <laughs> and you keep that one around. <laughs> uh, so, what would your Star Wars pet be? Ooh, I gotta think about that one. I kind of like uh, Bubbles from Star Wars <gasps> Resistance. Resistance. It's like a space pug, and <laughs> and I think Bubbles is great. I, I might really just want the show to be like you know Star Wars Bubbles. <laughs> Bubbles, <laughs> a Star Wars story. Yeah, uh, Bubbles, a Star Wars story. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I guess I would want a Bubbles. You'd have to get a bigger house for for when it grows up, you know. That is true, but you know, Worth it. what what are yards for? Yeah, <laughs> fair point. Fair point. So, if you could let any Star Wars character take over your Twitter account for a day, who would it be and why? Oh my god, I gotta think about that one. You know, I'm really not on Twitter anymore. Um, your Facebook, social website, you can take it whichever way you want. Hmm. I mean, the one, I guess, that I update the most, I mean, Tumblr is the one I update the most. So what Star Wars character would be most interesting on Tumblr? And man, I think that is also Young Lando. (laughs) Young Lando's (laughs) Tumblr. I do. I think that is an eclectic and interesting mix of posts. (laughs) Oh, man, that sounds... And his Instagram would be great, too. Imagine the selfies. Oh, I can't even begin to imagine. He's got, yeah, like, the perfect so. lighting, and the filters are all great and everything like that. I feel oh, like yeah, Andrew on yeah. Snapchat would be the most entertaining. Yeah, hashtag Bespin. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so to close out, favorite Star Wars one-liner? Oh, man, there are so many. Can oh. I pick just one? We, we give you the hard questions. Yeah, this is the hard question. Um... Like one-liner, because now I'm thinking of like snatches of dialogue, but that's not the same thing at all. Um, or you? I, d- I think probably, and this may say too much about where I've spent my time, but I think the phrase "you, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and <laughs> has stayed with me and been applied to too many places. <laughs> It fits so well, so well into daily life. It's great. Yeah, sadly it does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to round it up there. And we wanted to thank you once again for coming on. And uh, we just, this was a lot of fun. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed oh, definitely. it. Uh, go ahead and do you have any projects uh, that you're working on that you want to tell people about or, or where to keep in touch well, with you? Let's see, I just released the last book in my original YA space opera series, the Constellation series, which is Defy the Fates. That came out in April, about 10 days before Master and Apprentice. And then my next release actually is until fall of next year, which is um, my first graphic novel, which is for DC. It's called House of L, and it is set on Krypton. Wow. All right. Well, sign me up. I'm there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm not even a DC guy, uh, and I will be there reading. I'm like, <laughs> I'm to this point where if it says, and, and this is brown nosing, but I'm going to do it anyways. If it says Claudia Gray on it, I'm reading it. Like, you don't even have to ask me. So. Aw. 
Uh, all right. So, of course, you can always keep up with the show by subscribing to the Clashing Sabers Network. Just hit that subscribe button. Get all four of our shows that are on the network. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up here in the very near future, including the conclusion of our top three, bottom threes going through all of the movies. So make sure you subscribe there. If you want to send us your thoughts or just tell us that Claudia is the best because she is, you can email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. Tweet us uh, at clashingsabers. Ratings, reviews, all those good things. If you listen to this show, you probably listen to 50 other podcasts. So please just do the things that everybody says at the end. And until next time, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.